Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply hey i want to make the announcement that we are 75 percent vaccinated podcast vaccination Ooh. go get your vaccine if you can and you're able to yeah so you guys are like allowed to just like rock up uh it, oh god it's so messed up no i would okay. not be great <laughs> no of course not i love i love your naivete about how you think american government is handling the vaccine <laughs> oh i was gonna say i would be surprised if that's how you could do it welcome to jim and tonics musical theater happy hour i am jimmy and I am Tommy, and this is the only musical theater podcast with stage door tears and tasty beers. Mm. Here, we take apart your favorite shows, muddle them together with a shot of buffinery, and pour you a refreshing glass of musical theater conversation. Hey, Mr. T, what are you drinking today? Uh, it's a it's a flask of Styxian River water. Mm. Did you like that? Stixian? I'm not sure. Yes, probably pronounced Stixian, maybe. You know, Stixian? not like that. Like, what does uh, the next fair. do when it's X-I-A-N? I mean, yeah, like a Stixian. But Stixian's more fun to say. Yeah, it definitely is. It's got a lot of body to it, that water. <laughs> right? That's quite good. Read the, read the, read the quiz question. <clears throat> as far as we can tell, Meryl Streep's turn as the witch in the movie version of Sondheim's Into the Woods was her second role in one of Stevie Boy's shows. What was the first? The frogs. What was that? Santheus, wake up! Santheus, please wake up! Old man, I need your help! I may be losing my mind, but that sounds like like frogs. My boyfriend asked, why is it called the frogs? And I was like, well, that is a great question. It is a great <laughs> question. Maybe like 10 minutes of the show. Yeah, but I mean, like even ask Aristophanes, why is it called the frogs? I think it's just yeah. because like, you know, he did the birds. He did uh, another animal. The snails. The snails. I can't remember. I think he definitely did another animal. That's the one called Peace. Like interesting yeah. titles, Aristophanes. Um, but yeah, they're only in like 10 minutes in the original anyway. Um, did I ever tell you about my, my lockdown ambition? No. 
I mean, I did, but you're good acting, or you've just forgotten. Bad at remembering? What's the difference? Yeah, exactly. Um, so my plan right at the start of lockdown, when everyone was being like ambitious and creative, uh-huh. uh, was yeah, <laughs> I was just like zoom. Um, <laughs> was to do a one-man rendition of the frogs from like your bathtub or something. Well, no, just like do all the parts and uh, like maybe wear some interesting costumes, maybe choreography, <laughs> maybe in the time? bathtub. There There's is still time. time. There is still time. Maybe this is what I'll do. Maybe okay. No. I'm, I'm not going to do. It. I'm not going to say that that's what I'm going to do. Um, but <laughs> tweet it. Tweet at Asin Hendrix. Tell him you want <laughs> to see his bathroom production of the frogs. <laughs> no, but just the song, not the full show. Mm, Come now. Don't be too ambitious. Yeah, it's a exactly. Exactly. But remember, like remember that like into the woods guy that did. That did like your fault, but it was just him there was, behind a sofa. There was a, a spark, a spark of ambition. Oh, was that that was before uh, lockdown, right? Oh, that was way before lockdown. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was inspired by him. I was like, I, I could do that. A pioneer of digital theater. <laughs> he really, truly was in a way. Absolutely. I mean, like those videos are still incredible. It's true. You go back and watch them. My gosh. Anyway, the frogs. Recent lyrics by Mister Stephen Sondheim. The one and only book by Bert Shevlov, uh, and more book by Nathan Lane in 2004. Yes, indeed. Um, so, it crazily premiered at the Yale Repertory Theatre in 1974, which is a very long time ago. Um, and uh, it premiered in a pool, of all places. Yes, an Olympic-sized the, swimming pool. At, the, at Yale University, and then revived in 2004 uh, with a new book, or additional material by Nathan Lane, yep. more songs by Sondheim, directed by Susan Stroman, a variety of other changes. Indeed, oh, um, and okay, the frogs. Jo- I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do. You can well. do. I believe in you. I believe in you. This <sighs> one's easy. It's Nothing not happens. Okay. I know. Right. Okay. So, Dionysus uh, yes. is a Greek god. Greek, um, Greek god of wine and theater. Yes, and his uh, friendly slave Xanthius um, uh, decide to journey into the underworld to try and uh, bring back Mr. George Bernard Shaw, the playwright. Um, in order for him to try and fix the world, which has yes. uh, engaged itself in moral torpor, uh, and uh, they yeah they they journey into the underworld. They on the way they meet Heracles, um, who gives them some advice because uh, he's been there before and he killed Kerberos. Um, then they meet some frogs on the River yep. Styx to did, try did, and turn did... Nathan Lane into a frog. Yes, I believe it's a metaphor of some form. It's of some form, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, we will talk about that. I'm excited. It's a metaphor. Um, then we meet Hades, who tells him that hell's actually not all that bad at all. Um, in a delightfully camp song. Indeed. Um, and then in true Greek theatre fashion, there is a debate uh, between two incredible writers, George Bernard Shaw and Mr. William Shakespeare himself. Um, and actually, in the end, Dionysus decides to bring Shakespeare back to save the world with his poetry. Yeah, you did it. Well done. That's probably the best I've ever done. I think that's great. You should. I'm. I would subscribe to an audiobook of you describing Greek <sighs> comedies and tragedies. Yeah, maybe it's just the Greek stuff I can do. <laughs> but... It's been distilled down. Well, speaking of Greece, shall we uh, do a, a brief history? <laughs> For some reason, I thought we were going to start talking about Greece. But also, like, do you know what's really sad? I like kind of got excited. That is very sad. I'm sorry for you. But no, let's talk about Greece, the country. Well, no, the theater. <laughs> I love to travel, don't you? I love a change of pace, I love a change of space, I love to see a place that's absolutely new. Swiss. I love to travel, Bob, don't you? 
Limp. Of course you do. It's true. I love a change of venue, a change of menu. The feeling when you meet with something strange. Slug. I love to travel. Slug. I love a challenge. Slug. I love Slug. change. Trip, trip, slip, trip, catch. Are we there yet? Because no, but speaking of Greece, the country, have you ever been to Greece? I've not been to Greece. So, do you want to hear my fun Greece facts? Yes. So, I've performed uh, in a Greek amphitheater. In fact, Ooh. the biggest Greek amphitheater at Epidavros. Gesundheit. Thank you. Um, Yes, I played um, King Menelaus. Uh, who, who we all know so well from that great production of... Oh, it was it was a devised piece. Oh, okay. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> no, this was in school. Ah, This was in school. That's, that's very cool. That no, it's, it's deeply cool. Um, just learning about Greek theatre. Um, okay. We went over, over to Tolo in Greece. Um, uh-huh. And it was like, like... It's one of those things, like I spoke to Greek people... Mm-hmm. about it since and they're like that's insane and i was like no it's insane isn't it but i guess like people don't really appreciate it. but like it is like that is the original massive greek amphitheater where you know yeah this would have been performed i don't know if the frogs have ever performed there probably not um probably not. but uh yeah it was really incredible amphitheaters are cool there, I, I mean, I love me a good outdoor theater. There's just a different energy to it. And you do... All right, so, uh, The Frogs was originally performed in Athens in 405 BC. It's one of Aristophanes's... Aristophanes? Yes. Yes. Um, I got a C in theater history. Always always remember that. Um, <laughs> we <definitely>, never forget. <laughs> never forget. Aristophanes, you clitices, my clitices. Does anyone know? <laughs> the less we talk about your clitices, the better, please. <laughs> um, uh, but so, uh, you know, ancient, ancient comedy. Mm-hmm. Um but no, I, I love performing in a, or, you know, doing a show in a, in a good old amphitheater. You do feel, I don't know, connected to the history of theater and whatever. Oogie Absolutely. And just like, even just things like the acoustics. Like we did the whole, like, we dropped a coin and you could hear oh. it from the top. Like, that's come awesome. on, that's incredible. Um, so yeah, we're, we're talking about Greek theater. I don't think we ever really talked about Greek theater in the podcast. We, before, I mean, we? musical theater is kind of such a distant cousin from our, you know, the founding fathers of Greek theater. I uh, asterisk next to that sentence, but um, well, yeah, big asterisk because also not really, not really. I mean, this is we've we've you know uh, had uh, TM TM TM. Stay tuned for more. We'll get to it <laughs> later, but uh, it is it is a travesty that uh, academia focuses so greatly on ancient Greek theater and is definitely a, a hallmark of the uh, like colonialism and westernization of the world. Absolutely, uh, like my um, my textbook is literally sitting over there about the introduction to Greek theater. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you certainly wouldn't get any mention of Greek theater in that one. What tell me about like. What is your uh, relationship as a student of theater to learning about Greek theater, like in academic institutions? Like, I mean, so this... like we the only we only did it uh, in Epidavros because we it was a school trip, right? It was never a part of the curriculum. Um, the yeah. only reason I know anything about it is because I have an interest in theater and have studied mm-hmm. it myself. Um, yeah. No, I never studied theater beyond high school, okay. uh, so I'm you know I'm sure if I studied at a university. It would be completely different, but I did right. study classics. Yeah, okay. School, at high school, um, so we, I probably learned more about Greek theatre uh, and Roman theatre there than I did in theatre class. Yeah, that tracks. Um, I mean, it is Greek. I think Greek history and Greek theatre, and like ancient Greek history, caveat, 
is a is a hallmark of the standard United States world history curriculum. Mm. Um, and then Greek theater as a result, like, you know, we were supposed to, I did not read a ton of ancient Greek texts um, and contemporary adaptations in theater history class. Um, and, you know, learn learn who the gods are, learn who the different characters are. And then, of course, the, uh, oh, well, now why can't I think of them? The, the unities of ancient Greek theater, the unity yes. of time, the unity of place, and the other one. Um, <laughs> isn't there a third one? I, there probably is, really three. Yeah. But it is like, God, I mean, this, I, spoiler alert, I have no patience for it. <laughs> Gosh, you could tell. You I have know? no, I have no patience for the study of ancient Greek theater. Um, I think it is like a lot of uh, uh, westernized, like, quote unquote, classic literature, uh, overhyped, seeped in racism and ulterior motives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think felt that early on also with a, a, a healthy dose of just general adolescent apathy and don't give a shitness. Right. What about, um, gosh, we're already on a tangent, my goodness. Um, <laughs> what about, like, the actual, like, artistry of the text, though? I mean, I I think that's, okay, I was having this, remind me when we talk about Shakespeare, I want to tell you about Shakespeare. Oh, I'm ha- I'll happily shit on Shakespeare. <laughs> like, but, but I don't think Shakespeare's good in comparison to some uh, G- Greek or Roman writers. Yeah, but I think, like, we only have these plays because they're the ones that survived, not because they're good. They're necessarily uh, the best, absolutely. But, like, like one of my favourite pieces of text is the Aeneid, which I appreciate is, is Roman, but sure. uh, it's just, it's, like, remarkable. Like, yeah. I, I adore it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I mean, maybe there is a bit of, like, nostalgia attached to that, just because I really enjoyed studying classics. It, right. I mean, still, I, I feel but, I feel that way about Hamlet, just because there's like a frequency effect that right. I had to study it so much that I like it. But I think like just in terms of like it taught me so much about language and how you can yeah. use language as art. Sure. Like that like was a huge influence for me um, yeah. as a creator. So I think yeah. like I, I really appreciate it in that respect. But right. as like the the paragon, yeah, of theater, I would I would be like, well, no. Right. Well, and it is, we, it's such a conflated, terrible history. Like, we don't talk about, say, ancient Sanskrit theater the same way we talk about ancient Grecian theater. Right. Um, they're happening around the same time. Happen, or ancient Chinese theater. Which right, exactly. A century younger. Um, and what is so strange, and like, I've never seen this pro- properly discussed in academic discourse and would welcome links to my Twitter or our email. Um, we, can si- we call it ancient Greek theater, right? Mm-hmm. We ter- and we've compared it to that. That is how, like, Western academia talks about this thing. But ancient Greek theater is deeply, deeply tied to ancient Greek theology and ancient Greek religion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but Western society has separated the two. Um, we don't afford that grace to other cultures. Mm-hmm. We, you know, think of, uh, you know, perhaps uh, 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 ancient African uh, uh, tribal religious expressions as, you know, bizarre or exotic or, you know, uh, uh, primitive um, in a, in a, in a very, very different way. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. What well, we need to, we need to pause this. We got to We, we got to keep going because we, we got to go to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just spot. I don't know how, I, I don't know whether. How about, don't worry. No, no, no. We... Because I've already segued. We've already started this. But I'm like, do I cut? I can't cut this out, so I think we'll just do a. Like... We'll just, just you. We'll just put that part and be like, no, no, no. We're going to talk about that later. Yes, let's okay. talk about Yale. Yes, let's talk about Yale. Um, 
because no just as you started talking about that cog started firing and i was like right. uh, we can't get into this now we can't we can't get into this now we will get into it later <laughs> because i've really pointed on. it for later we the your... structure of the show because <laughs> we've yet to talk about the frogs <laughs> right exactly so flash forward thousands of years 1974 yes. um uh yale rep uh, and uh, head of Yale Rep- Repertory Theater, head of the theater department there, uh, R- Robert Bur- Burstein. Let me try his name again. Head of Yale Repertory Theater, Robert Burstein. Bur- <laughs> I'll say, head of Yale Repertory Theater, Robert Burstein. Um, he commissions, or, uh, reaches out to uh, Bert Shevlov and says, hey, you want to do that uh, Frogs production you did again? Um, and Sondheim owes Bert a favor because of some gala they did a couple years prior. Uh, and so they write this freely adapted version of the Frogs as a musical uh, staged in the swimming pool at the gymnasium with hundreds of hundreds of people, um, or maybe singular hundreds uh, yes. in it. Uh, this is where our quiz question come from. comes from. Meryl Streep, Christopher Durang. There's someone else they always list in the uh, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. And I, this is one of those, this is why I hate pieces of trivia like this it, Meryl Streep wasn't in it as like oh that's Meryl Streep right, right Meryl Streep exactly. was in it as a student at the Yale School of Drama right. and so it's such a weird like thing to check mark like no one no, no one knows the frogs because Meryl Streep Street is in it, it. Meryl yeah. Streep is not famous because she was in the frogs yeah but like oh like Meryl Streep probably has like some vague memories of doing the frogs at uni right right and that's um, that like in the same way I've got some vague memories about doing certain plays do you know what I mean like, exactly and so it's such, but like every single article that you read that describes the frogs pulls out yeah, this line starring like, Meryl Streep <laughs> famous names you might recognize and also there were literally a hundred people in this thing like exactly the whole the what, what was it the Yale swim team the whole swim played, team was in it yeah frogs, the frogs in it um and uh quite a fascinating weird existence and like timeline wise we're we're post uh funny thing happened on the way to the forum which is kind of how bert and steve know each other exactly their most recent collab um and we're still early on ish in some of the sondheim uh timeline yeah i mean but it's it's kind of come at a really interesting point in the sondheim timeline because this is on the back of his like ascendance yes um, he's just reached a little bit of success right yeah well we just did um what was it we just had the Follies Company. What was the one before Follies? Uh, Therefore Company. Uh, uh, anyone can whistle do it here. Waltz. Primrose Company. Follies. Night Music. Then Frogs. Night Music. That's what it was. Um, so yeah, we're just at the ascendance of Stevie Sondheim here. Um, so, like, quite an interesting time to take a U-turn and do a weird, you know, non-Broadway production that's highly right. experimental. Yeah, as a favor, <laughs> like... and and certainly had Stephen Sondheim not been so like had such an early rise to fame w- because he is good at what he does. Absolutely, this would be a footnote, right? This would be uh, uh, a fun oddity of a famous uh, musical theater composer had Sondheim not already been so successful. Yeah, um, and I do think you know he alludes to this, and we'll talk about it more. Um, but in whichever hat book it is, um, that the fact that he was kind of famous already perhaps didn't serve him well in wanting to do this weird experimental thing in a swimming pool at a college. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like a lot of people, you know, in, in our days of PR that we live in now, this would never fly. You know what I mean? No. Your agent would be like, you can't do this. This would, this is suicide. Um, exactly. For your uh, career. Like kind of nothing. dove into it on uh, a lark. Then flash forward, what, 30, 40 more years? Um, to the actually 2000, oh, 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 uh, uh, Nathan Lane performed Bits of the Frogs, I believe, as a uh, charity concert. Yeah, um, so it was in the uh, Library of Congress mm. um, that did it. Uh, and they um, commissioned a recording of it as well. And it's the, co- yeah. the recording that has Evening Primrose on it. Yes. Um, and it's now like the only recording of the original 
Right. The, the, un, the unrevised version. Although I did find allegedly on YouTube uh, what purports to be a bootleg of the original Yale production. I have nothing to confirm it other than it does indeed sound like it was recorded in an, <laughs> in an auditorium. Interesting. Well, because the thing is, is like there was another one um, done. Well, there was, I think, a few done in a swimming pool. Um, of mm -hmm. the original production, but there was one by the Pegasus players in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, which was also that, and I've seen video clips of that, so I wonder if it's yeah. that one that you've Perhaps. been seeing. Although I did, I listened really closely, and I did hear Meryl Streep in the background. Oh, did you hear, like, was she just kind of in the background going, like, careful the things you say, just practicing? No, it, it was practicing. weirder, right? <laughs> you, you just, like, the, the orchestra ground to a halt, and you just heard, I'm Meryl Streep! And then Sigourney Weaver was like, I'm gonna play Ripley! And then you, and then you just hear the footsteps, and it sounds like Christopher Durang walking out. Yeah, I mean, he has such a distinctive walk. God, we're never going to get to the bulk of this podcast. Two thousand four, Nathan Lane. Uh, after this, uh, uh, off of doing it as a, a, a charity concert, um, and perhaps spurred by some nine uh, eleven uh, artistic uh, impulses, mm -hmm. uh, pokes Steve and asks if he can revise it and bring it to Broadway with Susan Stroman. And that's two thousand four production. And if you listen to the album with an urn and a frog on the front, that's what you're listening to. Yes, indeed. And I think that's the one that most people. No, I imagine that, or certainly I mean, it's commercially. No, I think the, the like Sondi fans seem to prefer the Evening Primrose one, yeah, because it's like more pure. I mean, I find the you know the frogs. <laughs> sorry out to whoever this is out there, but generally speaking, the frogs is no one's favorite Stephen Sondheim musical. Well, you're apologizing to me here. It's not. It's not <laughs> in the, right. It's not in the top list, but it's in my top five. I love a ton of songs from it. It's in your top five. It's in my top five Sondies, Absolutely. Fascinating. Um, for you know. For reasons we'll discuss. We're not discussing anything in this episode. I know. We're um, just gonna. What if it, what if the episode started stopped right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks, guys. That was our best one yet. Um, no. Yeah. I, I really, really um, appreciate it uh, deeply. Um, That's fair. On on many many levels. Um, and for for many different reasons. But yeah, I think like in terms of like the Sondheim canon um, yeah. and the origins of his other shows, I think this one is just really fascinating. Like yeah. because it shows that. Like this just proves that Sondheim is like artist first, commercial yes. boy second. Like the fact that he would take the time. I mean, it wasn't a long time. He didn't spend a long time on it. It was a really, really short lived affair. Um, right. But the fact that he would take a U-turn and do this as a favor um, yeah. to his friend. You, you can hear him experimenting with what would become what we now know is like a very traditional Sondheim style. Absolutely. Um, and like exploring his where where his early stuff has kind of a. Uh, it re I think it really swings back and forth between like commercially viable and like deeply Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. Um, it doesn't often blend as well between those two. And you can see him really poking in like wildly different directions with the frogs to, to, to find ways to then hone it back in into something that becomes Sweeney Todd and into the woods and all of these tight commercially viable, but also experimental and uh, sonically interesting pieces. Um, but I think like this is, and I don't know whether it's because this was an experimental turn, but I actually think from a kind of, conceptual standpoint this is probably mm -hmm. one of his like deepest shows yeah tell me more so do i want to i don't want to tell you more yet okay go let's talk about the 2004 <laughs> production all aboard no delay long as your doa If you fall off the perch, if you buy the farm, kick the bucket, bite the dust. If you're pushing up daisies, truck on down. And when I say down, I mean down. All aboard. 
Get your kicks on the river sticks. Listen, what did we just talk about for half an hour? Nobody knows. Uh. Um, right, okay. Yeah, so this is a good place to start. Um, and I think the best place to start is to work out what's different. Yes. So um, the the two thousand the original production was maybe an hour long, and they needed to flesh it out to be a yeah, I think like an hour and a half, um, yeah, ninety minute, yeah, uh, but no interval, right? You know, um, and it was uh, I think like six or something songs, um, yeah. but sometimes written based around the structure of a Greek comedy, um, right? Where you have these like set moments um, that you would expect, uh, whether it was like addresses to the audiences or debates um, or honors to the gods, things like that. He uh wrote songs based on that structure which makes a lot of sense and very yes. you know yes very sondy um but yeah so for the 2004 though he added in um a number of songs and adapted songs uh yeah. from his original um which is interesting because this is effectively like our newest sondheim content that we've got yeah and it is i would wager okay here's here's a take i've gotten from how sondheim seems to talk about this i don't know how involved sondheim was with the 2004 production or rather, mm -hmm. I'll rephrase it as a statement. I think he was less involved than he is with some of the other productions he's worked on. Like right. It seemed very much that he and Nathan Lane sat down and Nathan was like, hey, we need a couple songs here and there. And they met for a little bit and then Sondheim left the city. Mm -hmm. Well, because I think I, I can imagine that that is probably. Yeah, that probably is the case, because Sondheim, uh, when he spoke to Nathan Lane about doing the 2004, um, he did it because Nathan Lane wrote some really interesting bits for the Library of Congress thing that was that were more contemporary allusions um, yeah. and, you know, in very, like, Nathan Lane style quips. Um, and so, yeah, when they had that discussion, I can imagine Sondheim was like, you've got something here. Right. Go with it and I'll help you. Rather yeah. than, I, I have this idea, you've inspired me. Right. Here, you know what I mean? Here it is because I think, like, the core hasn't yeah. changed. Nathan Fair. Lane has built upon it yeah. massively um yeah. and sometimes it's definitely like just buffered that to make it a broadway scale musical sure would you say that's pretty fair yeah i think so i think i think the thing i'm reacting to is you could even if we didn't name the songs that were added mm -hmm. if you have an ear for 1970s sondheim style musical theater and 2004 appealing like you know publicly appealing musical theater mm -hmm. sound you could probably sort the songs into two buckets. Yeah. Um, running through the thing, which is not how other Sondheim works kind of feel. They feel more integrated than that. Or when there is a new song written or something new added, yeah. it does seem to fit more seamlessly in. Whereas this does feel, to me at least, a little bit more like a like you folded two phone books together. Uh huh. Uh huh. Because I think like the only other example that kind of rings off the top of my head of something that's that has as much time in between it is um like with assassins. Mm. when he wrote something just broke sure yeah the middle production that's a, good, that's a good comparison yeah you know what i mean as in very much like i need to update this and here is that you know i've got skills now so right. watch me deploy them and it's like oh right. wow this is an incredible sensational song that's changed the whole production you know what i mean right. like that that kind of thing but in a, in a different way here it's kind of on the flip side like the original content i think was so solid um right that the new stuff is it is a bit filler yeah it does feel like that because it, it feels <laughs> like they had the song spot in a musical that already was done um yeah. Yeah. which is a weird a weird writing exercise right how do you build up on that but i think like it's, it's interesting because obviously the original um the original production was obviously very heavily based on the play and still picked up on a lot of the same points um sure. you know like a key part of the original frogs is when they go to meet heracles um yeah. 
there just wasn't a number there. So right. then I was like, well, so now they make a number. Here's a yeah, beat, same. so I'm going to make a number. Same with On the River Styx and Hades. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Um, the only one that really sticks out, though, is Ariadne. Yeah. How do you feel about Ariadne? I think it's a lovely song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Stephen. Like, yeah. but I don't think it. I, I I don't think it's important, and I think it's it, it really just detracts from yeah everything. There, it was interesting. There, there are a couple places. You know, everyone wants to cut apart Sondheim's works in you know a thousand ways to Sundays, us included. Yeah. Um, and I I paged through a couple articles about you know the queer world of Stephen Sondheim. Right. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And like this one between uh, uh, Dionysus and what's his name? All I can uh, think Xanthius. Of was, Xanthius. All I could think of was Xanathar, the blue beholder from Dungeons and Dragons. Incredible. Xanthius, um, uh, like have a, you know, could, what could be described as a queer relationship in the thing. It's very camp anyway. Right. Um, you know, and so it is interesting to me that like, I wonder how that conversation went about like, oh, well, we have to have a love song. We must include a heteronormative love song for the main character to have because it's a musical on Broadway in 2004. Mm. We never we never meet Dionysus's love interest. We never meet Ariadne. She's not a character in the show. Well, you do kind of meet her. Do you? Yeah, she appears in Hades. Uh, I know, I'm sorry. That makes yeah, I'm frustrated about that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, let me help you with your point because it, you are I think I still think you're right. Um yeah on the like kind of heteronormative thing right but i don't think it's from a perspective of we need this to appeal to audiences because they, they sure. need a love story i don't think it's that um what i think it is is we're seeing new sondheim sure because we talked about this in the passion episode that passion is yeah. so distinctly different from every single other thing he's done and i kind of posited a theory in that episode that um it's because he went through it in terms of yeah. himself and his own sexuality and appreciating right. because everything else up to that point is so repressed and tortured yeah. um or unfortunate when it comes to love there's no right. love there's no um, no love yeah right uh and then passion comes along and it's still tortured but it's more right. there's more love than we've ever seen before um yeah. and then i, I guess still still the way tortured she's not alive um, <laughs> but, right. but um it's still a beautiful positive right. old love song um and i think it i think it's just a case of Sondheim had unlocked this within him now and was able sure. to write these songs that were just, and it is a really beautiful yeah, it's a love, song. love song. Um, yeah. But I do think it's completely not inappropriate, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't serve anything. You know, these right. characters don't require depth, right? Exactly. They don't require fleshing out because that isn't the point of the show. Right. Well, what, what is, I mean, I'll put it point blank. What is the point of the show? Well, I want to talk about that later. Okay, put it, put it, put it in the bucket. I yeah. will say, is... this is a big old bucket that we got. I know. Wait for wait for the Snyder cut of this episode. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh my god, brilliant! <laughs> it will be presented in four three, uh, based on our initial vision. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I also I really want to talk about Susan Stroman, um, mm. obviously director choreographer. We we know and love Susan. You know, where would you be without fantastic, Susan Stroman, right? Yes. Um, but one thing she's really good at is a dance break. <laughs> Yeah, and oh one thing I think you could argue that the frogs doesn't need is three dance breaks. <laughs> oh my god, they're so you can find clips of them online from some publicity materials and stuff. And they are they are like technically and they're great. They're great. Dance High breaks. fun, right? High fun, and entirely unnecessary. Totally unnecessary, and like it's just adding padding to a show that really doesn't need it. Like it's it's adding padding to a show that really needs to be succinct and biting and yeah. delivering 
something yeah. as opposed to taking you on a journey. Um, I, and I, you, you can tell that Susan Stroman is all about taking you on a journey. Um, right. And I think it is to the detriment of that 2004 production. And I, I really, I really would love to see what it would have been like with a different director at the helm, yes. because I don't doubt that Susan Stroman would have also had influence in the discussions with Stevie when it came to like, listen, we need a number here, or this needs to be a dance. This, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't think Stevie Sonny would ever have written the song Shaw in his puff unless he was asked to do it, because that song is pointless. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I do, and I, you know, you know me, I don't like to speak ill of artists. Ha. Um, <laughs> you never have, and I think it's it is, amazing how you've held that <laughs> in all this time. It is a thing I thought about uh, Susan Stroman's work before, which I adore. I love the producers, right? And we've, you know, raved on about the Scottsboro Boys. Yeah. And I think her choreography shines in stuff that has a, like, pseudo-performance underpinning to it, Right. Right. Her stuff in the producers does well because the thing is a send up of movie musicals and the musical theater world and like all this stuff. The yeah, Scottsboro yeah, Boys yeah. is like a deep, you know, biting satire yeah. of a, you know, uh, 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 minstrel show. Yeah. Um, the Frogs, despite it like portraying itself as a play, right? Like it has a lot of self meta commentary about being a play, mm -hmm. doesn't really portray itself as a musical, not in that yes. same kind of meta commentary outward way. Exactly. And her choreography just does. Yeah. Um, it's just trying to be spectacle. And it, right. we don't need it. We really no. don't need it. And I like, I really don't doubt that that's a big part of why the 2004 wasn't as successful. Um, yeah. I think there are other reasons as to why. Um, one of those being, um, and I think there's an interesting parallel here with uh, Anyone Can Whistle in particular. Mm -hmm. um, one of the kind of... Uh, the hot topic about why anyone can whistle didn't work um is because of how it spoke to its audience um, mm -hmm. and we spoke about this quite a lot in that episode yeah. so if we can go back and listen to that um but basically the audience didn't like being treated harshly <laughs> right um, exactly and uh the ending of the 2004 frogs oh. um basically the kind of it, it comes as a sort of a brechtian style send up like very much like the fucking opera ending of yep you know, y'all need to do better. The end. Yeah, and it's like it's it's well, one of those things. There's there's a time and a place. There is an absolute time and a yeah. place. But that time and a place isn't when you've had frogs leaping up on bungee well, cords. And it doesn't just do the Brechtian ending. It does both. Right. Mm -hmm. It tries to do the like. And here's what we've learned at the end. And hey, audience, don't you know you be better. Yada da 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 da. And then like goes into this big flashy end of that song right changes to a major key the chorus comes back on stage and you know confetti cannons happen and it's it's so pick one <laughs> it, is bit, yeah, it, is a, it is a bit like that like i think i mean I, to be honest i don't think broadway can handle that kind of message i just I don't, I don't think it can in any i don't think i don't think 2004 broadway could handle that i, I don't I even give... know about nowadays though t because like it, mm -hmm. like it not not the Broadway audience, as we know and love it. Um, I mean, not the, the, I think, deeply caveated, not the musical theatre audience. There's, I mean, you should read some of the audience reactions to... Oh, to, like, Slave Play. So, yeah, no, absolutely. But, right. yeah, sorry, the musical theatre Broadway audience, yes. Um, I, I just don't think, want that. They just don't yeah. think that that is, you know, that's not what a musical should be, um, right. as we have talked about hotly. Well, um, that's, that's, that's not what people went to a Susan Stroman headlined Nathan Lane, Roger Bart musical to see. Exactly. Which, like, and and as such, I always feel bad for Nathan Lane in these discussions. I watched in preparation for this, right? Um, and I was disappointed by the interview because he doesn't mention it at all. But uh, he was on Stephen Colbert when uh, Nathan Lane was recently in. Is it called George? 
Oh it's yes, uh, it's something this, like that. Man's the name. sequel to Titus Andronicus. Yes. Um, hold on, Gary. Gar yeah. Uh, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, which I've had some friends who have seen it and gave it very, very poor reviews. Um, right. And it does. I love Nathan Lane, and he has this comedic dramatic event that like is so well featured in like the birdcage and some of his early work uh in straight plays on broadway and stuff mm -hmm. and unfortunately has landed you know post being uh uh timon in the lion king right this kind of funny guy attitude uh where he doesn't get to do the the comedic dramatic stuff yeah that he wants to do yeah and i think the frogs is an unfortunate showcase of that well i think it could be or i think it was but i don't think it had to be it does suffice it to say it does feel like a show that's trying really hard to figure out what it is um or like there's a lot of voices happening in it in 2004 yeah i in think it probably made a lot more sense in 1974 <laughs> yes i agree well, and and part of this is you know and uh uh like nathan lane has come out right and say it like this is a very direct uh bush era america post 9 11 reactionary play yeah um you know, it is interesting because, and this is a thing that frustrates me about a lot of a lot of political commentary media of the time. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever whenever someone uses some kind of phrase that's like, "Well, you know, the world out there," um, or like really general aphorisms about you know the state of the world today, but they don't tell you what the state of the world today is. Whether it's Athens or America, I don't care. But like, we can be a little more specific than that. Um, and you can tell in the 2004 version, these are a lot of Nathan Lane's editions. Um, and it is, a, it is a commentary. It is like an anti-war commentary, which is very appropriate. The Frogs, the OG, you know, 400 BC one was written during a time of war in Athens and is a reaction to that. And so there's a lot of literary illusion going on there. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, you know, I find it fascinating. Fascinating. The whole crux of the thing is that uh, uh, Dionysus is going to find Shaw and pick Shakespeare instead. And they're pitted against each other as like Shaw, the playwright of cynicism and social commentary and Shakespeare, the playwright of uh, metaphor and heart and ideology and poetry. Um, and it would seem the moral of the play is pick Shakespeare because the world needs heart. And yet here is Nathan Lane doing it. Like we need a nine 11 play. Right. Okay. We need to talk about it right now. Okay. Just flash. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The reason why I really appreciate this piece um, mm-hmm. is because uh, I think it's it could be his most intelligent work. <laughs> like Sondheim? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's definitely up, like definitely top five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the things that he's trying to discuss are just yeah. really difficult things to discuss. Like, um, because to me, what I think he's trying to discuss is the the nature and importance of art. Um, okay. And uh, obviously, you know, we have Sunday in the Park with George, which is a lot of that too, mm-hmm. but not not in such a theoretical scale. Do you know what I mean? And a much more like art is important to me. That's yeah. what Sunday in the Park with George is more about. Whereas this is like how art, like why we have art. Sure. Yeah. Um, in the same way that this is what Aristophanes was discussing. Right. Was trying to get at. Yeah. In for, I you think, know what I mean? I think I, 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 I agree with you on points. I, and I think this is a, a difference we have in our aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I much prefer pieces where the message is buried, where there, like I think there's power in Sunday in the Park being entertaining if you don't get it. Right. Whereas, whereas I think The Frogs is very nail on the head. But I, think, nail. but I think there's so much depth. Within, but I think, well, I think there's depth, but I think it's also quite apparent. Like, you can't, especially nowadays, right? I would mm-hmm. challenge people to sit through It's Only a Play mm-hmm. and not feel uncomfortable about their place in the world. Don't get me wrong. It's only a play. One of the most powerful songs in musical theater. Full stop. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And Re- it, required it, listening for anyone in the dramatic profession. Absolutely. Um, and it's bolstered with the song The Frogs um, yeah. as well. Like, you know, I, I feel like it's only a play wouldn't have, it wouldn't land as hard um, mm-hmm. if we didn't have The Frogs prefacing it, where yeah. you have this really like brash, obvious apathy song. Yeah. You know sure. what I mean? It's like, oh, come on, it's much better. la di da fiddle-dee-dee, come and join us. Yeah. It's great down here. Um, and then you have literally this, it's just so, like, I could talk about it forever, like, just an incredibly simple song um, that is written exquisitely because, yeah. and it goes back to what you are saying before, because it is only written in cliché. Right. Like, the only words written in that song are clichés. Don't bother, yeah. relax, it's only play, and, everything. And delivered... Time. Delivered in a way where it's impossible to misinterpret, right? Delivered in a way where you get it without it being... I, I absolutely agree on that point. I think I think the thing I struggle with is... I think it's only a play... One should have been the reprise at the end of the show. Don't reprise, please don't cough. Reprise, it's only a play. I don't know. Or because, something. But it's, it's so... Like, it lands harder because that's its moment. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the same way that... Yeah. Like, in the same way that something just broke is yeah. the mess... It's the point of Assassin's... There. Is yeah. because of where it is. You don't care about everybody's got the right to be happy. Yeah. All you're thinking about is something just broke, um, right. and it changes how you view everything else. In the same way that it's only a play, and yeah. then you read because then, like after that, you realize the complete futility of yeah, what sure. um, uh, Dionysus is doing. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it doesn't matter who you pick; that right. isn't going to change anything. Whether it's the love guy or whether it's the harsh guy, it, it do doesn't. You, you can do have you, the hope, but do you think that's the moral that it doesn't matter who he picks? That it's like this nihilistic futile effort i think so i don't think sometimes thinks that shakespeare can change the world yeah i if i think if that's true it's not communicated in this show 
I don't think it's communicated in that production, but right. I think like it's because I, that's that is the that's the reading I took of it. So therefore, yeah, given given another go at it, we might end up with a show, right? That does um, that thing. And listen, I'm not I'm not an expert on the original The Frogs, um, but uh, I think just the whole idea of here's someone going in with such an intent to. Yeah you know, like, I am going to get shot or I'm going to get Euripides and bring him back because he's going to fix everything and I know that that's going to work. For them to change their mind at the last minute right, shows that there's no there's no right or wrong answer here. I think, I think the two things that I'm struggling with, the first is, we've talked about, like, consistent magic rules in universes, right? Uh -huh. um, I think I talk about this in various occasions. Um, but, like, whatever, what, however magic works in your world, it's got to stay the same. This, in a, in a similar vein, has very inconsistent... Uh, metatextual rules um the like they start by saying what play should we do tonight right uh -huh. and the thesis of the show as you stated is it's only a play but we're also playing with the setting is ancient or the setting is now the time is ancient greece or whatever it is yes, uh -huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. and we meet um oh what's the word uh when it doesn't match the time period it's in anachronism uh we meet anachronistic playwrights in this world yeah like it doesn't and then we don't end quite well then we do end with like some reminders to the audience it doesn't do a good job of in world out world metatextuality textuality like it's very muddy on its distinctions there for a show whose main thesis is it's only a play but i think that's the i actually think that's the point i think that's the yeah. intention and i think even with the 2004 rewrites like so this is something that i don't know much about um mm -hmm. but it's something that I have been researching whilst researching this. Um, it's yeah. the concept of intertextuality um, sure. and how that's significant in literature. Do you know what I mean? And how it's used. And it's basically just referencing, you know, yeah. whether it's subconscious or whether it is purposeful um, yeah. and the different ways in which you can do that. Um, obviously, within this, there's many, many layers of intertextuality. Mm -hmm. It's based on a piece of text. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, obviously, you've got Shakespeare. He sings a song from Shakespeare. Like, there are these really right. obvious things. They quote, you know, in the 2004 version. They talk about the Lion King, and they talk about uh, yeah, they think my was a bullfrog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's there's all of these different layers, um, but then there is also the intertextuality of the song. Um, it's only a play, where mm -hmm. they are repeating these vague, pointless mm -hmm. aphorisms um, yeah. that create this kind of heady disillusionment, yeah. right? And I think it's all setting up. For that point, it is supposed to be muddy and it is supposed to be pointless because it's. I think it's to make you realize that it, it's it's only a play, like yeah. that. It's you know, you need to. Oh, sorry, I'm trying to like. What's my point? No, I, I I see your thread. Like I I I, I see there is by by keeping it i don't want to use the word sloppy i don't mean the word sloppy but like by by keeping it muddy in ways like that it's proving there's no authenticity yeah right and i think that is intentional like i don't think it's uh it, yeah i just think that's exactly what they're intending to do is to layer it with all of this irony and layer it with all of this you know these references and because we talk about it like we talk about it in conjunction with theater today right mm -hmm. and that you know, we're seeing more and more musicals that parody other musicals and every night, you know what I mean? And right. it, it gets really exhausting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because you're like, well, where's the art now? Like, where is, right. where's the thing that's going to change something, right? Because right. everything is just looking back and everything is just referencing everything else. And right. it goes out into just general social media. Like, sure. 
everything is a reference. The way that people talk nowadays, you know, especially like the gay community, we speak a la drag race. You know, what I mean, yeah. we don't we don't have normal yeah, no, linguistics no anymore, that. right? Sure. And I think that that is what this is setting up is that it's it's showing you this world that Dionysus yeah. wants to break out from, um, yeah. and how he is doing it is by bringing back someone from the past. Right. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's George or whether it was Ibsen. You know what I mean? Um, I think sometimes talks about it in the book whether you know it would be an interesting argument to see. Um, mm-hmm. Was it Hemingway and? Uh, oh no, it wasn't. It was um, Arthur Miller and the other one, mm-hmm. Tennessee Williams. I think that's who you talk. I, I might not. It doesn't matter. Um, okay. But yeah, it could it could be anyone that he yeah. brings back, and it wouldn't yeah. matter because it's old news. Yeah, I think that's the point. That's the reading that I've taken of it. Um, sure, I I think it's I I think it's I I could see a version of the frogs that would do that for me. Yeah, what I struggle with is like then Susan Stroman takes twenty five minutes to do these stupid dance numbers in this. Absolutely, thing. absolutely, and even more so, like Nathan Lane. You know, the, the your your point is well supported by the song The Frogs, where, you know, they want you to be complacent. They want you to, you know, sit with the status quo, all right. this stuff and dare to break out, dare to be the change you want to see in the world. And yet, very clearly, Nathan Lane is writing this play that he states is like an anti-war protest about George Bush era 9-11 politics. I do, but he's not saying it's a protest. Well, he's, but it's a commentary. It's in, it is related. It's inspired to by. He, he yeah. wanted to write. He wanted to do this because that was happening. And there is. He's not, it's, you know, I, what I said earlier, like, it's just filled with, even from, even from Dionysus's lines, it's filled with these generic aphorisms about the world out there today or politicians today and takes no biting side on, on either side of the things he's trying to comment on. But I think that's the point. That's a stupid point. Maybe that's my reaction. But that is like, that's just, it's just buffering this idea of like but, the same thing. But that it's you're, only a talking you're, about. you're, you're saying his point is that art is pointless. No. By saying it doesn't matter what artist he brings back. No, it's not that. It's that we need new art. We need new voices. That if you want to see a change, you need to change something. And he brings back this play with vague commentary and stupid dance numbers, right? Like he he fails in the art he tries to bring back. I think Yeah, I'm not no, I'm not I'm not trying to argue that the 2004 one is perfect, but I think there's I think there is stuff in it. Um that is really good, but I think the original 1974 one was closer to being mm-hmm. perfect. You know what I mean? Um, Fair. I think, but the like the original 1974 one wasn't a protest against war. Like, no, the, the original 1974 was written after Watergate. Like, I don't doubt that Bert Love and sure. sometime were working together to create. Something. Like, you can't write it's only a play if the world is really great. <laughs> Do you know Fair. what I mean? Like, it, it's. I think I think it's only a play. It's just for the new one. No, it was nineteen seventy four. Okay, never mind. Okay. Um, like it, it, I just, and I think I think that's why he chose to adapt the frogs. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's when you've got a really really tricky time. Like this is a great way of therapy, you know, of therapizing it and to try and work work out this this kind of nebulous idea of like, well, how do we fix it? I don't know, but we need to do something. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think that's what this show really intelligent, like much more intelligent than I can really articulate. Um, I think that's what it talks about. Um, and just to talk a bit about Nathan Lane, mm-hmm. I, I actually think in an alternate universe, he is the perfect person to deliver this show. Um, yes. Because he is a clown, oh, right? Yeah. And if we go back to, I know we've already kind of decried <laughs> theatre tradition, but right. if you go back to the theatre tradition of a clown, um, there's no one better to show you the world as it is 
and to show you a mirror of yourself than a clown. Um, oh yeah, I mean, if you if you read any, uh, and he doesn't do a lot, but like deep analysis or like interviews with Nathan Lane that aren't about a particular show, mm -hmm. like he is Pagliacci, like he is the, yeah. the tragic clown. Yeah. In in some of the most depressing ways you can ever imagine. Absolutely, and I think like there is a world where a clown leads this show. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think. You just need to take Susan Strowman out of the equation. I know, I know. It's such a shame. You could probably step closer to it, um, but nobody would have come to see it if Susan, Susan Strowman wasn't at the helm. You know, right. so it wasn't big dance numbers. Yeah, it's it's really really difficult. I think it's really. But all this to say, um, I would be really excited to see a show, a revival of yeah. the Frogs, um, helmed by Nathan Lane. Sure, why the hell not? Um, uh -huh. But directed by someone who's a bit more risky. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Who's a bit yeah. more into political theatre. Um, yeah. And see what that would look like. Because yeah. I think the content is all there. I think um, you think very, very long and hard about uh, whether you do the new version or the old version. Uh, um, and I think you decide to do the old version with some of Nathan Lane's book rewrites. Um, yeah. But I think that that could work. And I think it would be very, very poignant uh -huh. for this in age for the musical theatre audiences that we talked about. I don't know, and and I, you know what, you know I love you and I care about you. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever disagreed with you more. Really? Yeah, yeah. But play some music here because it leads us into our next segment. Okay, great. Here, no one has a need anymore to commit a murder, wage a war. Who you gonna murder and what for? They're all like dead, deceased, kaput, defunct, released, and we're flying high. And never stop, cause there's nothing we condemn. For the mortal human race, we need this space, this is the place to be. Cause you're not afraid of death, and when you're not afraid of death, then you're ready for love. Day is night when you're in Hades. That's the thing that gives it thing. How about a hand for Hades? How about a hand for Hades? How about a hand for Hades? Love being king. I just played a lovely concerto of <laughs> Bach. I and perhaps this speaks to what I, you know, wanted to get out earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is certainly informed by my distaste for the classics. I think this show is the most pseudo intellectual, hyper academic bullshit. Interesting. And, and should not. And there should be no space for it in the post-COVID theatrical world. Wow. This is yeah. great. I bet they didn't expect this kind of conversation <laughs> coming up at the start of the show. Okay, right. Totally. I'm sitting back and I'm ready. I think so. And like Sondheim alludes to it in uh, whichever half book it is. And we talked, about this, we talked about this before the show. You said that like he, he goes full in on like he really didn't like the process of the show yeah. and that you have a, a bit of distrust towards any kind of like if that's you know full-on say no to this thing a, a very a strongly held one directional perspective is difficult to trust and i agree yeah. with that yeah um but i do if you haven't read hat recently i i would love to start with a quote it's how it's his general comments at the beginning um the groves of academia are a dangerous place for producing theater the inhabitants are isolated enough from reality that they can mistake pret pretension for depth wait did i say that right yeah they can mistake pretension for depth and incompetence for art. I speak of the faculties, of course, the directors, the producers, dramaturge, 
not the students whose attention, whose attraction to pretentiousness can be attributed to the fact that their tastes are still being formed and whose amateurness can be chalked up to lack of experience. And I think it's a good description of this show. A quote-unquote loose adaptation of Aristophanes the Frogs, a, a, an existence of which I've already stated my displeasure for, right? Why do we care about this millennia-old piece of theater? But we're going to stick really, really, really true to the arcane structure of Greek comedy, a structure that is not reproduced in other places because we've discovered better ways to do shows. Certainly we can relate back to the academics of it, but I think some of that is informed by just like, you know, the bullshit of Western academia. Mm. But insert into it, no, 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 the big plot points we're going to change are we're going to replace the authors with George Bernard Shaw and Shakespeare, like who have wings named after them in libraries. And like, we're going to, shove our academic academic heads up our academic asses and you know stare at our bowels while we really really look inside what we consider to be the pinnacle of theater but is really just millennia of white men jerking themselves off in public through art and like and it it, it reeks of stodgy intellectualism and like a fake form of progressiveness this came out of so uh robert burstein uh the guy who sometimes disses the most in mm -hmm. finishing the hat um who founded uh, the, what is it, the Yale Dramatists, or the uh, Yale the Rep. The Yale Rep, yeah. Um, and would later go on to form the ART, not the not the Comet one, but uh, the Harvard version of that, um, and who is a stodgy academic intellectual. Um, the From my understanding, uh, this was part of a movement at Yale at the time called uh, No More Masterpieces, uh, where they were daring uh, students to recreate classic texts in ways that reinterpreted the original, which like on its surface seems super progressive and I'm sure it was very appealing in the hippie 70s, but really is just a an assumption that like there must be no new literature. All we have are Shakespeare, Shaw and Aristophanes um, as opposed to exploring new work, like stick with the old stuff. There must be something good about it. Um, like this is the result of that. At Yale, like this, you know, closeted intellectual institution, but we're going to put a progressive edge on it because it's going to be in a swimming pool. Um, like all of this stuff. And like I had this gut instinct on top of it. And I know sometimes I take my gut instincts about these things beyond the truth. I started looking into Robert Burstein because I had never heard about him before. Mm. In um, I think in 1996, um, August Wilson uh, did a speech. Uh, as part of some theater conference called uh, The Ground on Which I Stand, um, which will absolutely be linked in the show notes and you must read, um, and is perhaps uh, 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 a, a text I should have been taught in theater college, first of all, um, but a seminal piece of text about the whiteness of American theater um, and how it you know goes on a tirade against colorblind casting. It covers a lot of bases that we cover very often. Um, and talks about how, you know, it decries a lot of, like, uh, a lot of white theaters get grants to do you know, whatever they call it, multicultural productions, but like, mm -hmm. why not just give that money, you know, found a, found whatever you would call a black theater right. um, instead of like making it this, you know, exoticized sort of thing. And the only person August Wilson calls out by name is Robert Burstein. Right. And they get in a Shaw Shakespeare-esque intellectual off uh, across several articles culminating in like a, a literal public debate with like catcalling and shit um, where Robert Burstein is like, uh, for colorblind casting, um, doesn't quite understand Wilson's call to create 
exclusively black theater companies. Right. Okay. Wilson's, whole, Wilson's whole, whole thesis is that the black American experience is different and needs to be honored and fostered and cultivated and that we meet on this common ground of American theater and mm -hmm. that we use similar tools to do it, but you can't, you know, whitewash your own black art to get there. That's mm -hmm. disingenuous. And uh, Burstein comes from whether it's disingenuous or not, this perspective, you know, a kind of kumbaya, why can't we all be friends perspective that is really informed by white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a fascinating academic discussion that happened in the mid 90s. And all of this is the birth that formed this like hyper intellectual musical theater adaptation of what we call the classics, which is such a bullshit term for these things. Um, and it's I think it's why I disagree. I think it's, you know, fuck the classics like and a show that purports to be about we need new we need different we need revolutionary we need to shake it up we need to change things great don't fucking do the frogs again that's interesting i think um and I, was, I, I didn't know any of that about robert Bernstein, but do you think do you think you're just conflating the two of them as if one can't exist without the other i think but i think that's true because it's a it's art about art right no, I mean, as in Robert Burstein and the Frogs. So the Frogs as as a piece mm. of theater. Um, I think, and him as, I think a, as a racist man. I think Robert Burstein is a product of racist academia in America. Right. I think Robert Burstein is is the villainous figurehead in this narrative that is Yale drama, right? <laughs> that is centuries of honoring, you know, you know, quote unquote, honoring what we call Western theater. Right. Um, as the uh, uh, Burstein's one of his first response articles to Wilson was uh, he uses very Heidi academic language, so it's hard to get at what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he talks about how if we start, you know, fracturing the art form, it's going to be very difficult to agree upon what should be a standard of mm. uh, aesthetic. Um, right. And that's that's white man language. Right. That's yeah. that's the language of supremacy. That's the language of saying my way or the highway. Absolutely. Um, and and perhaps, you know, I'm sure the man has done some fantastic theater. I do not mean to paint him with a broad brush. Um, a lot of white folk, especially in academia, have their head up their butts about these things mm -hmm. and don't realize their own implicit biases that have been reinforced by millennia of this shit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, August Wilson took a stand on it earlier, you know, before it was cool. Right, um, right. <laughs> And like it, it all, it all is the same thing to me in my brain because it is the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they the fact that they bring back Sean Shakespeare. I you I I want to tell you a story about Shakespeare. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this embodies that I've mentioned this very early on. Uh, one of my bosses at school is offering a he's an English teacher. Um, he is offering a uh, summer Shakespeare class this summer, um, and was pitching it at one of the assemblies I run, and said the fact, do you know? And like Shakespeare has invented so many words in the English language. <laughs> And I caught myself because I like my job, but um, were I to honestly correct him in that moment, like, that's just untrue. And if you're a person out there who perpetuates that myth, that's just literally untrue. What has happened is dictionary editors over the years have looked for the first record they can remember of a word being written down. And that's why we say that Shakespeare has invented the word bedroom. That can't possibly be true. Mm -hmm. But because of the institutionalized academic racism in the world, it's impossible to improve that because you can cite papers back to the 1700s that say Shakespeare invented the word bedroom. Yeah, and yeah. so there's so much false evidence on top of it. And like, this is that ivory tower of, you know, white man written art that we're supposed to be trying to blow up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this show exists a bit as a hallmark to it. And it's kind of a, you know, 
it's not a it's not a it's not a great war protest piece. It's not a great musical, as we've extolled over and over again. There's better shit. Let's do it. Well, I, I don't. I do want to say that, that I still think the 1974 piece that Bart Shevelov and Sondheim wrote is good. Fair. I, I, I love parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about? Okay, let's just go into hypotheticals now. Sure. Right. What about a production of the Frogs where instead of George Bernard Shaw and William mm-hmm. Shakespeare, he goes back and he wants to bring back Maya Angelou, sure. right? And yeah. instead he meets Murakami as well, yeah. right? Us, us, and us, Maya us. Angelou and Murakami have a rhetoric off, right? Sure. Yeah. And uh, he decides to bring back Murakami instead. A start, absolutely. But, and like, this is where my knowledge fails me. And, and because, you know, we're both informed by these forever Western and white institutions. Mm-hmm. Why not put that narrative into a, an ancient text from Africa? Or, right, absolutely. Right? Like, this is, you know, and like, and not our place to write these things. Um, no, not at all. Not at all. But really? I think all, all I mean is like, this exists. Sure. Right? And, this, and it... But it, and, and it, it, it still creates a conversation that didn't necessarily exist in a, a popular sphere before fair, right fair. um and that that is just a fact like it, sure it's a fact born out of white supremacy yeah can't be refuted um yeah but at, at the same time i can't get away from the fact that it's only a play changed my perspective on like, you know i mean like made me think about the world differently that's right? fair and, and, and i, and I, I don't think, want to discredit that either exactly and i just think it. any piece of art that can have that impact on a person right yeah is important you know yeah um and I, I think that's why I think there is still a place for it. Like, because I appreciate that, yes, we've updated theatre and we've updated structures of things and how we present things since mm-hmm. the BC times, right? Right. But one of the things that I think is so beautiful about the world is the fact that the ideas haven't changed. Do you know sure, what I mean? That's fair. And the fact that in 405 BC, Aristophanes was working yeah. out my country and my world is right. abysmal. And I want to know how I can fix it. And the only thing that yeah. I know that is beautiful in this world is art. Yeah. And I want to know how my art can change things yeah. because it's all gone to shit. And it's something that I think very greatly at the moment, all of us who adore art are thinking, do you know what I mean? Yeah. We want to know how can our art fix yeah. this? I mean, it's almost like, but that that is, an, this, I could turn that argument right against like, okay, so screw the frogs, what's next, right? I mean, fair, absolutely. But at the same time, if not enough people are thinking that right sure. or if not enough if there are enough people and there are enough people in this world who are apathetic as fuck and are doing yeah. nothing that's right i want to play them it's only a play because sit and listen to that song and yeah. shirk it off just yeah. try it like fair. it's impossible right yeah. the frogs fair enough it's only a play it's just a different story altogether right. um yeah and it, it, you know i mean if i've got a theater full of people who are feeling uncomfortable because they know everything that's happening they know what's going on at their doorstep and i think more than ever it's more on their doorstep than ever before yeah and now you can't just look at it's only a play and go ha la di da which in 2004 we thought it was as bad as it could get right and now look at where we are right that's 16 fair. years later um but i think i think perhaps my reaction is like you know and not that the frogs was going to fix it but it didn't work um and right. my my, pro- my problems with it are there's this, I, th- I think there is this falsehood of theater that, God, and you know, this goes in direct opposition to a thing I said earlier about you have to hide your message. So who the fuck knows what I mean? Right. Um, right. But We're talking like, about the nature of art, though. So I know. So it's tricky steps to make here, pretty, right? Pretty big deal. Yeah. But like, 
there also does seem this there is like a uh you know gentleman's agreement that you don't outright say what you mean in the art you're creating right right, right. Uh, that that is informed by this that you know Eng high school english teachers across america being like well it's the metaphor that deeply means i'm like well no sometimes they just mean what they say sometimes, sometimes, exactly what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes people just write what they mean right. and sometimes people don't mean anything else underneath it <laughs> and uh i don't know what i'm trying to say other than all of it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but good I think this time, right? Really good. No, I think, and I think, I think you do present a really good point that, like, it's a shame that we have to use this institution of sure. historically white theatre in order to get these ideas. And I will never argue with you about that fact. Um, but it's that thing of like, if if there is a path, right? Yeah, that we can take in order to yeah. get somewhere better. Yeah, I'll happily take those steps. You know, Fair. if if it takes. Kander and Ebb, two white men, to create the Scottsboro Boys and to get that onto a national stage where sure. people can see it and understand a story that has never been told before. I know that that isn't the perfect way to tell that story. Um, I know it's, it's a long, a far away from being perfect, but yeah. it's a story that I would never have heard if it wasn't for Kander and Ebb. That's fair. That's very so fair. there are these steps that we need to take, unfortunately and tragically, because we live in a stupid white art form. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but hopefully, you know, hey, look at a strange loop. It's changed everything, right? Um, we're getting, we are getting wise. We yeah. are getting wise. Um, yeah. But there's still a lot of people who can get wiser. Yeah. Um, and, we, and, it's, and I and want it's... them to listen to the song. <laughs> it's only a play. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's I really fair. want them to listen to that um, yeah. and, and see what happens. Yeah. I guess mostly I just want people to burn their classics books, really, is what I'm saying. Yeah, really, really do. <laughs> I think that's really. Oh, it's a shame because thesis. the Aeneid is so good. <laughs> such a shame, but yes, I would give you that, and I'm sure a lot of people out there studying classics right now would agree. Yeah, God, yeah. I hate, I hate that we teach Shakespeare in high school English classes. Yeah, I know. There's, there's other people we could teach. And, and I love Shakespeare. I hate that we. Yeah, never. I like that's some for, Shakespeare. I like some Shakespeare. I liked it because it was we got to do theater in English, but like English <laughs> teachers don't know how to teach Shakespeare. No. Anyone who says go home and read the scene has already done it wrong. Yes, I agree. Right. And and it's so easy to understand why, yet yeah. so many people don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can put it up right there with you. Don't you worry. I had the best English teacher, right? Straight yeah. on a beautifully high note called um, Mrs. Wainwright. I can't actually remember uh -huh. her first name. Um, Those best are best English teachers. Yeah, exactly. Best English teacher I've ever, ever had. And uh, with her, we studied Romeo and Juliet. Uh -huh. Great. Um, Excellent. And step one in her class was, okay, tables and chairs to the side and love it you know straight away Always. you're gonna be a good english teacher and yeah. she was honestly the, one of the best teachers I've ever ever had because she just got like she understood that english was so much more than opening a book yeah um and shockingly enough i did extremely well that year <laughs> whether what no matter what was her name mrs mrs wainwright mrs wainwright even even if she still is on this earth i'd go back to hades to grab her oh a hundred percent oh we'd have a great time in the boat <laughs> <laughs> are merely chatter and easy to say it doesn't really matter it's only a play it's only so much natter that somebody wrote and the world's still afloat so it's hardly a note for today Pretty green. 
and likes a little flatter. But what does that mean? It really doesn't matter what somebody writes. You can turn off the lights and on alternate nights you can pray. Don't worry. Relax. Jimmy, that was the frogs. Wow. Did you, I'm so curious who thought, who started this podcast? I'm like, they're going to argue about that. <laughs> well, who started this podcast and continued listening to it? Because we didn't make a point for about half an hour. Hey, that's fine. It's but worth, we have a, worth the wait. We have a very organic art form, Jimmy. We truly, truly do. Hey, speaking of organic art forms, um, <laughs> it's our birthday soon. <laughs> our, uh, our hundredth episode's coming up. Exactly. You may have noticed our episode number has been creeping up. This is episode 98. For next time, we'll have 99. And then, bam, ba, da, da. We're going to have 100 episodes. It's taken us a while to get here, but hey, we've made it. And we have big plans. First off, get ready. We're going to record it live for you. Live. A, a digital studio audience. <laughs> exactly. From Rockefeller um, Center, if that's where you want to listen, or elsewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. We will be in the comfort of our own homes. Um, but yes, we would love you to join us. Um, it's going to be on Saturday, April 24th at 2pm Pacific, 5pm Eastern, 10pm GMT. If you live elsewhere, just Google it. It's really, really easy. Um, and we would love for you to join us. Tommy, tell us what we're going to be getting up to. Well, we need your help. We would love for you to send us your questions. What have you always wanted to know about Jim and Tom at the Happy Hour or our endeavor over these past five plus years? Wow. Yeah. Um, or tweet at us your favorite moments from past episodes. It's super helpful if you can uh, remember uh, about where in the episode it was. But if not, we'll figure it out. What did you like? What were, your, what were moments you enjoyed? And when you tweet us these things or Instagram us or whatever, use the hashtag 100 Happy Hours. Yes, that is the number 100 Happy hours because we've done 100 happy hours um and if you do very excitingly um we're going to be giving away some prizes live mm -hmm. on the show so do make sure you're using that hashtag yeah 100 happy hours tweet us your questions or your favorite moments i can't wait it's I'm gonna buzzing. be 100 wow that's so we're many so, the centennial we'll talk about it for years hey but we need to deal with 99 no 90 hey oh no it's 99 hey <laughs> We need to deal with number 99 first. What's that going to be? I'll tell you well, because it's me to read out the quiz question. It is. And uh -huh. we are nothing if not a well-structured podcast. It's good after 99 episodes that we're still working it out. Um, hey, looking for love? <laughs> Boy, have we got the show for you. Yes, this is the quiz question. We're developing a dating app named after our next show. It pairs you with another performer who has played the exact same character in that show. For example, we have these two rave reviews from two happy couples. Tommy, can you read us the reviews? If you want to get in touch with us, our show Twitter and Instagram <laughs> is at Jim and Tomic, or you can email at us at our website, jimandtomic.com. Yes, indeed. Um, if you head on over to our website, you will see that we do indeed have some merch available if you'd like to check that out. Uh, we've also got a Discord, which is just my favorite thing in the world, and we would love to have oh you join God. us. Um, you can find a link for that in the show notes right now. Um, it does run out pretty quickly, but don't worry, we will always put it out. 
And uh, while you're on our website, you can also check out our Patreon if you want to financially support the show. And you can endeavor to watch our video podcast, Last Call, where you can hear us talk about stuff. It's a lot of fun. And, of yep. course, thank you to all of our cur- current patrons. Yes, we do love very very dearly but um if you'd like to help us out in any way shape or form um the best thing you can do is just tell your pals all about this show um and the 100 episodes that we have indeed but that's all we got for today thanks for listening everyone and jimmy cheers cheers Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I have to be so bad. Pee really badly. Go, go, go. That was great.